Fed up being told us there's only British or Irish. Fed up with Union Jacks and tricolours. Fed up listening to the same old shit from the same old talking heads. Well, welcome to the show where Ulster is Ulster. Welcome to the show where we fly the red hand with pride. This is Alternative Ulster. Thanks again everyone for joining in on the show, whoever's listening out there anyway. I'm joined again by Dan over there in Manchester. How's it going, Dan? It's going really well, mate. The sun's out and thank Christ the pubs are back open. Not to rub it in, you know, but we can have a drink in a beer garden. Again, not gloating. I just can't. I'm just bloody glad we've got the pubs back open. uh, Well, it's only a matter of time, so, you know, you can get your couple of weeks on us. Um... But who knows when this will go out. So hopefully when this goes out, the pubs and all still be open. Be able to shoot some pool while I'm having a beer and um, things will be back to as normal as possible. Um, but yeah, from the present to the future to the past, as were most of these essays that I've written have come from. So the next essay that I've written is from around about April, May, June time in 2017. This one slightly different tone from the last two episodes that we recorded and I'm talking more about things that have gone on in Westminster but obviously Westminster has an effect on Ulster um, and it's interesting to see how the political landscape looks and, and just to sort of see how they relate to other concepts. Um, that's a wee bit sort of up in the air all that would have said so I'll get straight into the essay and that will make a bit more sense. Uh, so the essay, uh, Corbyn versus May, pre-general, uh, pre-general election 2017 thoughts. Jeremy Corbyn is the hermit. This is why he's unelectable. He isn't a bad person. He just isn't a leader. The hermit, and this is a, a, an addition from more recently as it was added through, in tarot, shows the way to the hero. He doesn't open the door. He doesn't lead the way. Compared with two of the greatest mythological hermits, we can easily draw comparisons. Those hermits being Obi-Wan Kenobi and Gandalf. Obi-Wan is a great comparison because there are memes doing the rounds comparing Obi-Wan with Corbin at the moment. Obi-Wan lives in the wilderness on the desert planet of Tatooine, the same place where our hero Luke Skywalker lives. Comparing with now, we have a generation lost in the wilderness. They are their own heroes, as we all are in our own individual mythologies. The wilderness can be simplified to a generation who are lost and don't know what to do with themselves. But there are many factors that play into this. The most, obvi- the most obvious is that we were promised everything, told we could have it all without any real work, and got little of it. But there are more complex factors than that. We are continually told we are going to be less off than our parents. It's difficult to find a career that offers fulfillment and money. Relationships are more transient. The fulfillment of working for a stable family life is also less likely. A lot of the reasons for this is because of housing costs. Mortgages are crazy money compared with our parents' generation. There's more competition in the job market because because both men and women are expected to work now. We're told that everyone, from our teachers to the media, lied to us and are continuing to lie to us. These are a few of the factors. The list is certainly not exhaustible. The effects are good or bad depending on your perspective. It has led, in many instances, to people meandering from one job to another, one house to another, one relationship to another, without any foundation or purpose. The big bad empire has shut off any upward mobility, and so we are caught in the wilderness. Then along comes Corbin, Obi-Wan, the hermit with his torch illuminating the way and people flocked him, searching for meaning. Corbin himself may have some good ideas. He may well be a good person with good intentions. For people to call him a cunt or a cretin or whatever is unfair. He seems like he's motivated by a genuine longing for peace. He acts in his public life by example, not getting drawn into personal slaggings. He's a pacifist and won't get drawn into a who or will he bomb, won't he bomb type of an argument. Ideally, everyone would eradicate war. Most people know governments go to war for their own self-serving reasons. 
What needs to be realized is that governments are power structures and power structures can either build relationships based on trading of products and ideas or can fight through war. Humans do this by treading the, treading the fine line between competition and cooperation. Looking at war through the context of our mythological Star Wars hermit Obi-Wan, he doesn't kill anyone, not in his role in the original trilogy anyway, portrayed by Alec Guinness. He doesn't condone violence, yet Luke, the hero, must still blow up the Death Star, killing millions of Imperial stormtroopers. This is an interesting paradox for Corbin's pacifist followers. Corbin has been unable to deal with the enemies within his own party, which further shows his inability to lead and that his true value is elsewhere. Theresa May, on the other hand, embodies the role of the Emperor in Tarot. She's closer to the Emperor than the Empress because she rules over a patriarchal structure, albeit one in a state of political chaos. Her party, at present, is united behind her. There are no outward signs of dissent from within her own party. She's viewed as a wise old ruler or as a tyrant, depending on one's point of view. On the one hand, we live in a time of immense freedom, where people are not persecuted, persecuted for ideas, sexuality or religious beliefs. On the other hand, the state has a part to play in the social conditioning of society and the conditions of the wilderness alluded to earlier in this essay. The government has been responsible for wealth filtration from the less well-off to the super wealthy and has caused, perhaps purposefully, an immigration crisis that stemmed, that stemmed from foreign wars. These things have not been the fault of Theresa May. They have been the result of government policy for decades, both Labour and Conservative. Those who have reigned as the Emperor either had the Emperor's qualities to begin with or adopted them when they entered office. Individuals have to conform to their power structure. Theresa May may lead a corrupt party, but she will be more than likely re-elected because she embodies more of the Emperor's qualities than Corbyn. If Corbyn is elected, he will either be taken out or will confirm to the, the, the power structure of government, much like are we, we are seeing from Donald Trump across the Atlantic. What I find most fascinating is how those on the fringes of politics have had their interests reignited by the likes of Trump and Corbyn and by issues like Brexit. Those who once denounced the two-party system are now full-on Corbynites or Trumpeteers. Corbyn or Trump will not change the nature of these structures. They may add a different psychological dimension, but the structures will remain the same. Governments are made up of thousands upon thousands of civil servants and stakeholders, and the changing of the head will not make much of a change to the culture that exists within the structure. What will change the structure is an event, a black swan event. A black swan event is something that completely out of, that comes completely out of nowhere and changes the political environment or the social environment, but be something beyond the physical environment anyway. It could take the form of something like a financial crash, although this is unlikely as financial crashes are fairly, a fairly predictable part of modern society. It could take the form of a disease or a climate event, or it could take the form of something more positive, depending on your perspective, like a technological advancement, such as the steam engine or the internet. I spoke to a friend recently who's a Corbyn fan. He believes the state should look after people. I agree with him to some extent. There's no way civilization can survive without power structures. Power structures go back as far as humanity and even further. What makes me wary is the size of the power structure. The bigger it is, the less accountable it is. Doesn't matter who is in charge, whether it be Labour or Tory. For years in Britain, the Labour Party were in the wilderness while Thatcher's Tories reigned. It took for Blair to dispose of those keeping them keeping them there to, br to bring Labour to power. Blair removed the clause in Labour's constitution that empowered the unions. This move satisfied in those in power, the real government, and pleased the mainstream media. Corbyn is not well liked by the mainstream media. Now, unlike Blair's day, we have the internet in fuller form. People are much more aware of the grip of the old media outlets. Propaganda outlets pop up in this new world disguised as journalism. 
People see websites such as The Canary as journalistic outlets, but they're nothing more than propaganda organizations. The internet is the mainstream, and your Facebook or your Twitter bubble is fueling your biases and stripping you of your ability to form critical opinions. One must become balanced and disengage themselves emotionally from the outcomes of elections. I saw people crushed after the general election in 2015, after Brexit and after Trump's election. This is pointless. Look at the things you can fix in your own life and stop blaming policy politics for your own inadequacies. The Tories run a massive state anyway. They're just blue communists. And that's the end of that one, Dan. Well, so obviously we've got a lot of hindsight now. You know, you said you wrote that 2017, so we're four years down the line. And there are some things in that which didn't happen. Theresa May was, you know, eventually then sort of kicked out of office by her own party. Yes. Um, So in that you said, you know, you saw that she was going to be re-elected. Um, but then again, you mentioned this sort of black swan moment, and the black swan yeah. moment has been COVID. It happened, and I also said it could take the form of a disease. You did, absolutely. And that was something that uh, that I had a bit of a chuckle to myself too when I was going through this as well. So, but you know, whenever there's so much stagnation, generally speaking, something does come along that completely upends the whole system. You know. See, we, we're from the similar generation that mm. seems to have had a few black swan moments within it. You know, yes. you, you, were t- you talking in this essay about, you know, we're the generation that, that will be the worse off than the previous generation. And yeah. that, you know, the previous generation was better off than the other generation. Um, and then, you know, we've had the things like the 2008 financial crisis and then something like Brexit. And then something mm. like COVID. I'm a bit fucking fed up with these black swan moments, if I'm hugely honest. Well, the thing about it is, is that, I mean, I, I don't actually think Brexit was a, a massive deal. I don't, I don't think we, at that time, whenever I wrote this, Brexit wasn't really a big deal. Um, You know, looking on now, in Northern Ireland anyway, we have the, the sea border and stuff, and the, there are certain outworkings of Brexit, but it still doesn't seem like the true consequences of Brexit have actually come come to, come to pass, you know. Uh, the, the 2008 financial crashes, crash was massive, like it really was. But the thing about these things is, I don't actually think that... You, you, you ever remember the term the lost generation? Do you ever remember that one? Yeah, yeah I remember that when that was doing the rounds, yeah. Yeah, so it's these things here that, that, that are put out there. I think we, a lot of these things are quite deeply psychological because, you know, you can read into that how you want. If you if you believe that's how we are, how this generation is, then that's the sort of, that's the path you're going to follow. Whereas if you look at it from a different perspective, where it's it's more along the lines of every generation has its challenges. We, as as this generation, have our own challenges to deal with. So the problems that I outlined, yeah, they are very real problems. But there is there is money floating about as well. There is there is money to be made. Um, you know, you can. There's still business opportunities that can be taken. There are still social opportunities that can be de- taken. Uh, it's just that we live in a in a a world that changed pretty much overnight because of the internet. You know, mm. so. It's very, it's very different from the generation that came before us, but because we're human, you know, we still go about fixing things in the same way. You see, what one of the notes that so I was writing some notes when when you were reading out um, that essay, you know, really interesting mm-hmm. essay, and towards the end, the word I put was stoic. Your right. approach is quite stoic to um, when you're talking about the Trump and the Brexit things, and you're saying, you know people were absolutely flattened by these election results. But yeah. you argue, well, they shouldn't because that's largely out of their control. And what, yeah. you know, the, the impression I got is that, 
you think that people should respond to things that they're in their control, not the things out of control. I'm reading uh, Darren Brown, uh, mm. who we know as the magician from TV and stage. He's Very wrote fun. a book on happiness. And the right. book is called Happy, Why Everything is More or Less Okay. And he talks a lot about Greek, uh, the Greeks and their perception of happiness and the philosophy of happiness. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, when we were talking about this sort of, you know, you, you didn't use the phrase lost generation, but it, it, it has been used. You know, we yeah. are the ge- generation that's going to be worse off. What can fix that? And the thing I ask, or should we... F- the only thing that we can maybe fix is our perceptions or our mythologies. Yes. We can't fix maybe the economic inequality overnight, but we can fix our stories. And also, if you are constantly working to change like the big picture, that's all well and good. But you know, you're not unless you're doing things for yourself as well. It, you've got to balance it out you know you, it's there's nothing wrong with being a bit selfish there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with trying to make a bit of money for yourself you know there's nothing wrong with living in a, a nice house you know that you don't have to feel guilty about those things just because someone who's more well off has more influence or whatever and they're doing that sort of thing as well there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with with earning a bit more money because the thing about it is is mon- money is it's an energy source you know, it's just like it's just like electricity. It's an energy source, and whenever you can use that for things that you believe are good, well, then you don't see it as being you know the root of all evil, as people as people go about saying it. But you know, getting back to what you're saying about elections and things like that, like this was written after Trump was elected. You know, we're we're sitting now here what six months after five six months after Trump was beaten. And a lot of the people that I saw, like, running about all smug, went in the meltdown. And a lot of a lot of those people were sitting going, ha, 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 look at the snowflakes and all. And then they absolutely crumbled whenever their guy got beaten. So, you know, you've, you've got to sort of look at it and go, okay, well, the thing about the thing about elections as well is, is that it's a, generally speaking, it's a choice between two. You know, there, there isn't really much more choice between that. You can choose, like if you look at yourselves, obviously here in Northern Ireland, we've got a, a very strange sort of political setup. You know, we've got a lot of different parties, but realistically it falls between the biggest unionist party and the biggest nationalist party. England, for example, you've got, you know, the, the Tories and Labour Party. No one else realistically is going to win. So you can throw your weight behind another party, but you know, you're not going to back one of the winners. So generally elections come to what's the the greater of two evils here. Mm. And if you, if you decide to participate and you decide to go out and vote for one of them, that's grand. But if you've got a lot emotionally invested in one of those two parties winning, then you will feel very upset and very disappointed. Whereas if you go, well, I'm going to be facing challenges in my life one way or another. This party will make things maybe a bit better for me. So I'm going to vote for them. But if they don't win, it's not the end of the world because tomorrow still got to go out and do a day's work. And that's, I mean, that's really my attitude to politics these days. Like for a long time now, I've looked at it more like a, looked at politics more like a, a soap than anything that's actually real, you know. And, you know, they do say it's showbiz for ugly people. So, you know, there's maybe something to them. It, it brings back a memory. Um, when it was the 2017 general election, um, we both worked it as, as um, you know, we were both For Sky News? Yeah. And yeah. the way you say we're treating it as a soap opera, that 2017 mm. election, I remember the phone call to you in the early hours in the morning when, you know, all the results were coming in. And yeah. We were having a laugh. We were having a ball, not because of the politics of it, but the drama of it, the story of it, just the the characters of it. Not because of some grand policy that's going to change overnight. Yeah, just just yeah. by the sheer entertainment of it. I know because if you look back at that election, you know, you had Theresa May and you had Jeremy Corbyn. Both of them are were pretty 
bad candidates, really. Yeah. And, you know, this is getting back to, to what I was speaking about in the essay. And even what you'd mentioned, you know, after we spoke about it, you know, about Theresa May getting dumped out. Like, I, I think I did mention that her party was in political chaos at that time. So the the reason, you know, there is this thing that um, divided parties don't win elections. And <clears throat> I, I can't remember 100% whether the Tories were overly divided at that time or not, or people probably just knew they were a bit divided. You know, the Brexit was going on in the background and stuff. And uh, the thing is, is that Corbyn, Corbyn's a nice guy. You, you get what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't want a nice guy running the country for me. Like, I want to have a hard bastard in there. And Theresa May was a hard bastard. So, you know, you want someone who's who's not going to wilt away. Jeremy Corbyn, ha, you know, he, he has a lot of very, very good and commendable characteristics. And as some sort of advisory role or some sort of, you know, um, role keeping keep holding people to account and fighting for justice and fighting against injustice, that's that's something some he's good at. But whenever you look back at that time, you know, would would you have trusted, say, like a war broke out, for example? And th- this is a really this is a real possibility. And th- th- these are the very deep things that people look for in their leaders. You know, they might not admit it, and they might not really want to admit it either, because you know. War isn't something that's fashionable, and people people don't really like to talk about it. So, but whenever it comes down to it, war is something that is uh, it's it's happened in human nature. It's a very real possibility, and people want someone who's tough, like they want a hard bastard in there. And Corbyn, nice guy, but no one really was expecting to be tough when it came down to him. It was. I remember writing about this election quite extensively that's when I was working as a, as a print journalist and um, mm. I described it as the Alice in Wonderland election where up is down and down is up a win is a loss and a loss is a win and you had someone like is that because of spin is it sorry is that because of they made the spin flan of it yeah well the, the fact is Labour lost the election but they treated it yeah. like a victory the Tories yeah. won the election but they treated it like a loss but they had they had a quite a small majority after that election, though, didn't they? Well, they didn't. They didn't have a majority. That's why they had to go to the DUP for the for the um, for the. Um, it wasn't yeah. a coalition. It was the what, what did they call Su- it? Supply, supply, and supply and um, demand. Yeah, it wasn't even supply and demand. It was something else. Yeah, some something that some other slogan to come up with it. Um, confidence and supply, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, confidence and supply, that, that sounds right, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was interesting, you know, you said you were saying about Corbyn, he's a good man. I, I think mm. he is, you know, largely a good man. So yeah. can a good man be a leader? Not yes. necessarily saying a nice man, but can a good man be a leader? And my, my, se- my second observation on this is that um, Corbyn's shadow chancellor was a guy called John McDonnell. Yeah, and John 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 McDonnell is a bulldog. Tough bastard. Tough He's bastard. the guy who's prepared to play dirty and act dirty. Yeah, and I do believe if John McDonnell was leader and Corbyn wasn't, Labour might have won that. Possibly, possibly. Um, the thing about it is, is that you need your enforcers, and John John McDonald, if I remember rightly, he he was, you know. I don't know if, I mean, did he have the charisma to be the leader? You know, if you, there, there are, this is this is the thing, and this is some, you know, I mentioned about tarot and stuff like that there. Like, uh, you know, people hear tarot and think, oh, fuck, fortune telling, you know. But for me, it's more like an understanding of very deep concepts in human nature. You know, the whole fortune telling thing, that's just one side of it. And I'm not, not even hundred percent to it you know it's more like the images come out randomly and can speak to certain subconscious things in your mind and you know there's all this sort of weird stuff goes in the background with the with that side of the tarot the um the fortune telling side and and the and all that stuff but in terms of human characteristics and 
people that we interact with in our lives and stuff like that. Um, you know, this is why I mentioned that Corbyn was like the hermit who isn't the leader. Mm. You know, John McDonnell, I, I don't think there's actually any card within the tarot, within within the sort of the major arcana anyway in the tarot that would relate to John McDonald. But he, I don't know if he has the charisma, but he certainly would have that enforcer type character, you know, where he's like a problem solver, where he gets things done. Um, people, people, you know, would respond to him. They wouldn't take any shit from that, or he wouldn't take any shit from other people, sort of thing. I suppose that's why he was perfect as shallow chancellor, and obviously they were hoping that he would be chancellor. He would have, mm. um, he would have almost been the Gordon Brown in the Gordon Brown blur relationship, even though obviously there was a conflict between those two. Brown, yeah. Brown was known to get shit done and not be afraid of upsetting people. Well, one of the things with Gordon Brown was was that. Brown and Blair had this agreement that at some point Brown would be Prime Minister. Mm. And um which is a bit of a strange sort of agreement to have, like but that that was how they had things that was that was what they had agreed between themselves. And Blair was incredibly charismatic, um very, very good in front of the camera. Uh you know, he had that, that smile that people wanted to vote for him with in the early days. You know, now it's like you know, it's sort of like a horror show smell. But, you know, <laughs> whenever people... It's cat, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, but pe- people, liked, people liked it in the early days and people liked what his policy was and the simplicity of his media message. Um, whereas whenever it came to Gordon Brown and he was doing his electioneering, I mean, Labour were already done by that stage anyway because um, Tony Blair basically rinsed any sort of credibility that the Labour Party had. Um so Gordon Brown didn't really, you know, he he didn't have a great start, but he didn't have the charisma. And, you know, there are a lot of stories about Gordon Brown's temper and stuff. And um, so, so the, the two of them were very different characters, very different people. I I, I think history will speak um, kind of brown. The, the, there's a few uh, things. We'll see, we'll see how the currency goes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the Star Wars analogies. As a big sci-fi nerd, really enjoyed them. But yeah. there's a few things I want to address through those analogies. You know, you say that um, Theresa May was the Emperor Palpatine. Where I think she was more. Do you remember in The Phantom Menace when you had the Chancellor of Lorem? Yes. The, the yes. one before Palpatine, who was the ineffectual, just... I, yeah, I just think May yeah. was more pal- more val- valorum than um, than Palpatine, but again, that's showing my sci-fi credibilities. Um, well, it was more as a, a comparison again to the Tarot, um, yeah. where the the Emperor is that sort of paternal figure, you know, like the the father of the nation, if you know what I mean. I I agree with you actually. You know, that probably was more like Chancellor Valorum, but then. Chancellor Valorum, as you know, Chancellor of the whole of the Republic, is in a sense an emperor. You know, like he is the top man. So, um, and again, this is where the the person has to embody in an election. The person who is go- going to be the prime minister has to embody those qualities of the emperor. The incumbent generally has an advantage in that in that regard because they already have proven credentials unless they've been an absolutely disastrous prime minister they have the credentials of saying well look you know i've been the prime minister you know you can see that i've been tough when i've had to be tough and stuff like that you know this guy do you really trust this guy is he going to be as tough as me so um but that, that was more what i meant by her embodying the emperor yeah she certainly looked, looked like the emperor towards the end of it but i think that's what the <laughs> office does for you um, oh yeah, <laughs> you ever seen a prime minister to come out with with a uh, less grey hairs than the started with? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Just it's like me and my ex girlfriend. <laughs> but so so, I, but I think the emperor analogy now does suit Johnson. That's I know it's probably my own personal po- political beliefs that, but I think Johnson is more Palpatine. Um, yeah. But the question I was going to ask you: Do you see anyone in British politics? 
who has the qualities of an emperor, you've said that Corbin had the qualities of Obi-Wan as the hermit. Mm. Is there a Luke Skywalker as well? Well, this is another thing, is that... Well, uh, uh, did you ever hear... Uh, just just before we go a wee bit, bit down that avenue, did you ever hear about how George Lucas was originally going to finish Star Wars? No, go, go on. So he changed the ending. He made it... A, well, anyway, uh, I'll tell you what, what, he was, what he was planning to do. So there's the end of... The Return of the Jedi. Luke's beaten Darth Vader. Vader's thrown the Emperor off the side of the you know the Death Star, and all the rest has happened. And they're in the hangar bay, and Vader's having his you know his final moments with his son, and Luke takes off the helmet, and Vader dies, and in George Lucas's original writing of Star Wars, Luke puts on the helmet and says, "I am Lord Vader now." Ah. And I, like, I think that's much truer to the um, Joseph Campbell influence that um, George Lucas had. Have you ever heard of Joseph Campbell, have you? No, no, you, uh, you know, please tell me, I, I don't actually. So Joseph Campbell was very heavily influenced by Carl Jung. I'm sure you heard of Carl Jung. Yes, yes, philosopher. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um Joseph Campbell wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces where he, he looks through all the mythologies, well, a lot of the mythologies of the world, you know, indigenous mythologies and things like that, and looks for similarities between them. Um, and it's this whole idea of, you, you know, it's sort of like this thing that you, you know, you die the hero or you live long enough to be the villain, you know? It's like that sort of thing. Eventually, yeah. eventually, you have to take over the world. Do, do you get what I mean? You know, yeah. you can't get, always this, be the rebel. This is, this is a bit time sliver of sci-fi knowledge I'll let you continue, is that wasn't Luke Skywalker meant to be Luke Starkiller originally? Oh, I didn't know that either. I didn't know that was what, what his name was supposed to be. Yeah, so maybe he was always destined to be Star Killer, not Skywalker. Yeah. So you, you yeah. need a bit of Star Killer in you to be a Skywalker. Is the point I'm making it in a very elaborate way? We could get really bogged down in the Star Killer thing and talk about like the the other Star Killer and stuff like that. But I'm all, I'm aware Dan that we're not talking to an audience of full on nerds <laughs> like ourselves here. You know. There may be only like semi nerds. Maybe a lot of people probably switched off as soon as they heard Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is this concept of eventually you become the emperor, you become the empire yourself, and like I, I've seen that a lot with um, in terms of politics. Like, so a lot of people who um, I was a bit of a rebel with in my youth and shared the same sort of rebellious, rebellious political ideas with, a lot of those political ideas have now become mainstream. And I personally don't agree with a lot of those ideas now because I think a lot of them have gone too far. Um, but a lot of the people who were with me as like the rebellious types have now slipped into what the mainstream is without knowing it, you know, uh, because people become the emperor, people become the empire itself whenever they usurp the old guard. And this happens on a, uh, on a this, ha this happens constantly, this is human nature, this, this is the cycle of human civilization over and over and over and over again. The next generation will do the same thing to us. It, it's a constant renewing. So, but when, it, it when, happens on, on that level and happens on an individual level too. When I when I was uh, studying film at, at sixth form, um, mm -hmm. we studied new wave cinema, and it was it was always a great image that our um, our tutor at the time said. You know, the whole thing about a new wave is a new wave comes in and washes away the old, and it's this force of nature that washes away the old. It's exciting, exciting, but then again, the wave will go back out into the ocean again, and there's another yeah. new wave to swipe that out and go back again. Constant. So, 
you know, this is the rebellious thing, is is the new wave goes out, and then when you go back in again, you sort of become more mainstream, where there's mm. another new wave behind you, ready to be the new rebellious people. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about it practically, in terms of how, you know, if you're, if you're a young person or whatever, growing up, I mean, like, I still consider myself to be young, but I'm in my 30s now, like, but, like, you know, and I already joked about how many grey hairs I've got coming through. I get reminded of that on a freaking daily basis. But anyway, you know, if you think about whenever you're young and you're establishing yourself, the best way to do it is to pick a target of someone who's already established and say, I'm having what you're having, you know, and you, you come at it with original new ideas of your own and you target the old ideas that, that are maybe outdated and not defunct in a modern society. And what'll happen is, is that there, you know, be like a, a multitude of people who, who have this approach and other people gather around them. And that eventually is what changes what the mainstream is. You know, it might not necessarily change the people that are there, but I mean, we're humans, like, you know, in a lot of senses, we're, we're like conduits for ideas. So, uh, you know, it's the ideas that really come through and change, even even though sometimes the people don't. There was a phrase that you um, mentioned in the essay, and this is one of the first phrases I saw in it, and I've been wanting to ask you about it as soon as I read it again. Yeah. How the fuck are the Tories the blue communists? Well, if you look at the size of the state, the Conservative Party are supposed to be a party that is, you know, if you look at traditional Conservative Party values, they supposedly are the party of minimal government influence minimal you know like a small state whenever i say like a small state i mean like small taxes like not not you know like lower taxes um low state involvement in people's lives low government spending all that sort of thing now under Cameron Osborne, there was a, uh, you know, they, they did do the whole austerity thing and stuff like that, but public spending's gone up. Um, taxes haven't really come down. You know, like, I look at my own life as just a regular working fella, and there was a wee bit of a tax break from, Cameron, from Cameron's government, but, you know, yeah, I still pay a lot of tax. There are other institutions out there that the Conservative Party are content with having, you know, in terms of other taxations, like inflation, um, which is, you know, a way to give the banks a bit more money. Um, you have the likes, even like insurance and stuff, you know, like insurance is, it's a, you know, insurance is a racket, really. So you have the these other sorts of taxes and stuff as well. Government spending is is and has been for a long time completely out of control there's so much wastage in government spending so whenever i talk about communists you know blue blue communists it's not so much like people are queuing up at the bread lines although you know there are food banks and stuff well, but, yeah food banks yeah yeah uh well at the same time i mean i've been really skinned like and i've never had to go to a food bank you know i think that it's it's a tragic mentality that some people have. But anyway, um, it's more about the size of the state. You know, if you have uh, the Conservative Party, if they reflect the values that they say they have, they wouldn't have as big a state. I mean, they would just slash it, like, you know, because it can be done. But the government exists to perpetuate itself and its own existence so what happens is is that the the party come the whatever the new party of government comes in but they still oversee the same civil servants who were there before and it's sort of like you know like yes minister or yes prime minister you know it's a bit like yeah, that 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 was just the thing that came into my head was yes minister yeah because there's that one where sir humphrey i can't remember who, who it is he's talking to but he's like 
Yeah, I mean, the aim of the game is basically to get the most civil servants in your department, you know? And that's really what it's all about. You know, each department wants to get more money so they can spend more money and be like, oh, look at me, I'm Billy Big Balls, I've got the biggest budget. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that, that, that is what the business of government is. Yeah, but what, what I will say is that, you know, Cameron and Osborne were very overt about their austerity program something an austerity program that has been um t- t- sort of argued against by most econ- uh, economical experts um that, that they think it was just a step too too far and we are still in year 11 of the austerity program that starts in 2010 now well the, the tories are no, will no longer use a word like austerity but that's a PR thing. They're still doing it. They're still slashing and decimating NHS, social care, education. Now, mm. you, you did say, um, fair enough, you were right, that government spending has increased recently. But this is a t- typical fudging of the numbers. Yes, yes, it's increased recently, but when it's, only, when it's increased from rock bottom, any increase is going to look good. But it's but, not going to match pre-2010. But... If you look at state dependency, that's a different thing altogether. And that, that is the root of communism, really. It's more the root of communism. I mean, we're get, I don't even really like to call communism so much because it's, you know, it's sort of like, oh, the motherland, you know, but, you know, not really. That's not what it's about. It's more, that's more Nazi Germany, isn't it, though? You know, the motherland. But anyway, anyway, you know what I'm getting at. Um, but it's more about state dependency, you know. If you look at the mentality of people now, they're like, oh, I want my politicians to do this for me. I want my government to do that for me. You know, um, there, there was a bit of a benefits cut, but realistically, you know, I suppose the benefit cut mostly came that the fudge, the, the uh, inflation figures. Um, but, you know, if you look, especially throughout the, the pandemic that we just had there, you know, you look at the state dependency there. You look at the furlough schemes, the you know the self-employed schemes, all the sort of money thrown about in that way. There was a lot of you know I think they even put the dole up by like twenty quid a week or whatever it was. So there was a huge amount of state dependency, and it's more about the mentality of. This is the thing, right? It's you know saying saying earlier about money being like a an energy source. And if the government is like at the centre of all money, which it wants to be because it's in coots with the Bank of England, which creates the money for the UK. It there wants was... the it wants to draw more people to it as a as a power source and become dependent on it. So you know, the more people that are dependent on it, the more people they own, you know? Like that that's the thing. Like if you're dependent on the state, the state owns you. There was an interesting episode of a BBC podcast. I know we shouldn't be promoting other podcasts, but they do do a decent one called Americast, which mm. is about American politics. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about Biden's plans recently um, that has given most Americans like $1,000 as, as sort of COVID relief. Yeah. And they were saying that um, Americans don't get child benefit. They've, yeah, yeah. they've never had child benefit which was something that sort of staggered me a bit I didn't realise that until I, I listened to it and as yeah. part of the Biden's plan recently his plan is to sort of give child benefit to people now America which would never you, you know communism is a very dirty word socialism is certainly a very dirty word mm-hmm. but the policies that have come through recently would be something that's more socialist but I don't yes. think that Joe Biden is a socialist, nor do I think, believe Boris Johnson or Rishi Sunak are socialists. But I think but, its policies is absolutely necessary at this time, whatever your politics. Do you believe that they're conservatives, though? Yes, I do. Yeah, and the Biden yes. included. Hmm. Um, you see. This is the thing is that, I, you know, I look at it in terms of state dependency and yes, you know, I mean, this is really harsh to say, but sometimes it is that old 
old adage, you know, you got to be cruel to be kind. And if you allow people, if you say to them, oh, you know, we're going to give you fucking 20 quid a week for having a baby, you know, just because we're nice people, people will become dependent on the state. Whereas if, if you say, you want to have to do this for yourself, people step up or sometimes they won't step up and that that has its own consequences but if you if you don't allow people that i mean this is the thing that the dole you know that old argument about the dole should be a safety net or not like the dole is a safety net and it's also for a lot of people a lifestyle choice so and people manipulate it and abuse it and all and as far as i'm concerned whatever because we live in an era where the government pull in so much money that it's just like the vultures coming at the carcass and you get big vultures, you know, like the likes of these massive super wealthy companies that come in and set up bases and pay no tax. And then you have like the small vultures that are like, you know, the dole scammers. As far as I'm concerned, if the big ones are doing it, I don't care if someone else is doing it because, you know, you know, whatever, you know, but it, it, it's not, come it's on. not some, it's not something I would do, you know, but, but anyway, um, so you're going to make a point there, Dan. I was going to say, can we not have the best of both worlds then? Can't we have a safety net for people who truly need it as well as the encouragement for people who don't? So safety net for the, the truly, you know, people who are living in adverse circumstances, but the encouragement to get back into work and not rely on the state. Come, is there a way to, to, to get both? Well, how can you do it if you say... I mean, it's very, it, it's a pretty well recognized thing now that you can play the system, you know, mm. that all you have to do is say the right things and you'll get whatever X amount of money per week. You know, it, it's a very well established concept that that's, that's all you have to do, that there are certain buzzwords you have to hit and you can go on the internet and look up whatever the, um, you know, the guidance is for like a, a, a dole. Uh, you know like, like a job center employee or whatever um you know you can look up the guidance you can see whatever language they use and whatever buzzwords they want you to hit to be able to award you the bigger claims so whenever you have a system i mean this the system sort of um that side of the system thrives on uh two things um firstly manipulation of the system so cheating and also uh, putting out a false sense of victimhood and the two of those things go together because you're cheating by putting out a false sense of victimhood you know you're it's just like the x factor you know you whoever has the biggest sob story wins not necessarily the person with the most talent and that that is a lot of how a lot of our societies now set up but, but that's because pe that's because people are afraid of actual, you know, power. You know, people people are afraid of, you know, th throwing their weight about, and you know, you, you know, people are afraid of that sort of thing now. It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable in the modern world. Whereas I I, I think the bigger vultures are the ones we should should certainly have been trying to cull, which I realise I'm going to get animal charities attacking <laughs> me now. Podcast says, just... <laughs> but um, I, I do think that it's the bigger vultures who are draining the most money who are the ones we should be approaching and and, and getting. But unfortunately, the, the words you just used there was power. People are afraid of power, and the bigger vultures have the power. Whereas the other well... ones, the smaller vultures who are playing the system, don't have as much power. They're still playing the system, but they don't have the much power. Oh, it's more like a better way to look at it is. So if the government is like a an like a, a um, like an energy um station, like a power station, and, you know, you have all the ones on the dole that are sort of just like you know they've got a wee bit siphoned off from like the, you know the the found that like a a a street light or whatever outside and they're they've got a connection into their own house and they're siphoning off a wee bit of power in that way. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. the big ones, whereas the big ones are like, they've 
they've they're in cahoots with the ones that run the power station and they're siphoning off a lot of a lot of the energy from themselves like that's more what government is and it's not so much the pro the problem isn't so much we're going to mix our metaphors here the problem isn't so much the size of the vultures it's the size of the power station because if you have such a huge center of energy generation you will without a shadow of doubt have people attracted to that to try and take energy from it like that's just human nature if you see something that's you know if, if someone's creating a lot of energy it draws people to it because then people think oh i can get a wee bit of that you know i can make a bit of money off that or whatever so it's not it really isn't the size of the vultures it's the size of the power station but it's very difficult in a world like you know globalization has happened it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not it's happened the internet's allowed it you know the internet uh the airplane the car you know th those sorts of technologies have really opened up the world and allowed globalization to take place so these parts it's it's very difficult to break the power structures down whenever the world is so united and connected now i don't know how it could be done you know getting well, back to what the nature of this podcast is Dan you know I, I believe in an independent Ulster and I think that if governments have more autonomy at home then that, that's a, a big way to solve the problem but maybe it's not at the same time you know this is the point I was going to end on actually Jamie it's funny we've sort of reached that both ourselves is that I always say to people as a journalist I have all the questions but I don't certainly have any of the answers and well, I have plenty of answers, but I don't know if they're the right ones. That's the thing. <laughs> to, to be fair, you, you have answered my questions as truthfully, as honestly, and as coherently as you have done. And there's been some absolutely fascinating points that's come from this, sci-fi analogies aside. It's been <laughs> a really fascinating chat, Jamie, as always. It, it has been a good chat, Dan. And uh, you mentioned something earlier about you know, other podcasts and radio shows are available. Are, are there any you could recommend? <laughs> Fucking seamless, mate. Fucking seamless, that. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to hear the, the, beautiful, the beautiful voices of me and Jamie, I've got my show, The Coalition of Chaos, on Reform Radio. We do a show every month. It tends to be the first Monday or the second Monday every month. It's a mix of news, views, and a bit of blues. And we sort of delve into the headlines to see what makes them tick so please tune in the coalition of chaos reform radio well I'll, I'll look forward to getting back to doing a bit of that as well here don you know um but yeah um thank you very very much for chatting with me again as always it's been a great conversation good to get something from the other side of the water as well there and we can talk about things from your neck of the woods too you know um oh i definitely but uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get doing it again soon. And all the best to you. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. Cheers.